Good evening. Uh, can you imagine um, if we could organise a thanks, Rich, a survey? Good evening. Yeah, we'll work on that, hey? No, we won't work on that. Yeah, okay. We're too cool to uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, let's start again. Take two. Um, imagine if we could organise a survey of people in Sydney and ask them this question. What are Christians like? Yeah, I'm seeing your faces. Uh, At the moment, that might not be a question that we dare to ask. Uh, In our culture at the moment, there seems to be uh, increasing antipathy and hostility towards Christians, at least in lots of our public conversations. And so we'd expect that there might be some people who'd answer that question by saying, well, Christians are bigots or hypocrites or bullies, um, that kind of thing. That wouldn't really surprise us, I suppose. Uh, But there might be some people who have a different view. Um, There might be some people who experience Christians and Christianity, not at that kind of macro level of the arguments and debates that are out there in the public square around whether it's gay marriage or religious freedom and those things that kind of cause that polarization. But there might be people who experience Christianity on a personal level because they have relationships, uh, friends, family members, colleagues who are Christian. And so they might perhaps have have a different view. Um, So I wonder how those who know us would describe us. That's really the important thing, isn't it? I wonder what we are known for and for what do we want to be known. Uh, As Sally said, we're continuing this series looking at the fruit of the Spirit and Paul lists out all these traits Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, uh, all of those traits. And what he's really saying is this is what Christians should be known for. And so tonight we come to gentleness and and this this is, we should be known for being gentle. Even more so in a context where there is such antipathy and hostility. So how do we grow in gentleness? That's the question that we're exploring tonight. And we're going to move through three things. We're going to start by defining gentleness, what it is, and then we're going to think about, okay, so how do we actually grow in gentleness? And then finally, we're just going to try to um, get a bit practical and think, well, how do we actually live that out in everyday life? That's kind of what we're after tonight. So let's start by thinking about what gentleness is. How do we define it? How would you define gentleness? That's, um, That's kind of... What I'm uh, wondering, you might start by thinking about things that are gentle and cute, fluffy little animals seem pretty gentle. And actually, this isn't a bad uh, place to start, gets the ball rolling. Um, The same word that's translated as gentleness in some parts of the New Testament is translated as meekness in other parts. And so it's kind of got this idea to it, this idea of um, something small, maybe something that doesn't think of itself as being more important than it is, something that's kind of not out there, kind of wielding sort of a whole lot of power. So meekness. Uh, So for instance, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the kind of word he uses, the one that can mean meekness or gentleness. And so what he's really saying is that in his kingdom, it's, it's the meek, it's the humble, it's the gentle who will find a home there. But gentleness isn't just sort of a quality in ourselves. 
it's not just how we think about ourselves, whether we think of ourselves as important or not. It's about how we act towards others as well. And so someone in our office, uh, in the church office this week, uh, gave a definition, their own definition for gentleness. I thought it was a pretty good one. Um, they said that gentleness is about seeing the vulnerability in others and not reacting with fear or exploitation. It's an interesting way to think about gentleness, isn't it? It's saying that gentleness is about how we engage with other people when they're weak, when they're vulnerable, when they're hurting or when they're angry, when that weakness is exposed. But this definition only tells us what gentleness is not. And we want to know what gentleness is. And the best way to find that out is to look at the way God is gentle with us. So we're going to have a look at that first passage that we've just read for the moment, Isaiah chapter 42. If you have a Bible there in front of you, it would be helpful for you to follow along. Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 42, we hear God speaking, and this is what he says. He says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. The servant that God's speaking about here is the nation of Israel. If you were here last week, we saw that God chose Israel to bring God's blessing to the nations of the world. That was the mission that he gave them, and he put his spirit on them so that they'd have the power to carry it out. This is why he calls them his servant, right? They've got this mission that he's given them. And yet, in contrast to the way that we might expect a master to speak to his slave or his servant... You know, maybe with harshness, maybe with, you know, a bit overbearing or, you know, bullying or, or something like that. Actually, the, the tone of God's voice here is completely different, isn't it? Did you notice that? As we hear him speak to his servant, we hear God speak expressing a deep care and great delight. He has chosen Israel. He upholds Israel and they bring him such joy. And so we get this amazing picture of what God is like. On one hand, he wields immense power. In verse 5, he's described as the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it. He's got this immense power that he wields. But on the other hand, he's the God who reaches down from heaven with breathtaking tenderness and humility. And so we, we get a sense of that in verse 6 when he says, I have taken you by the hand. The God who holds the universe in his hand holds them in his hands too. And so we start to get a glimpse of what true gentleness is like. Gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness isn't timidity, gentleness is strong and brave, yet humble and tender. It, it's not afraid to be vulnerable. It's not afraid to move into chaos. It's not afraid to reach out to those who have much less power in order to bring them peace. And of course, this is, this is what Israel's mission was to do. They're to reach out. They're to bring forth justice to the nations, is what it says there. They're to go to the blind. They're to go to the prisoners. They're to go to those in darkness, Isaiah says. And they're to give them light and freedom and justice. Now, just think about what it takes to pull off a task like that. 
that takes strength. That takes courage. That takes conviction. That takes perseverance. When we think about it in our own kind of context, we know that actually. When we think about the kind of organizations that we support here at St. Albans who are out there bringing justice in the world, who are out there battling systemic injustice, you know, organizations like International Justice Mission and Compassion, we know the risks that they take and we know the dangers that they sometimes face. We've heard about the sadness that they experience. Uh, we, we were in, um, when we were in uh, Piazzas on the, the Philippines trip, uh, that's the town that's built right next to the um, rubbish dump. Um, one of the one sort of subset of the team had gone out visiting to visit a home. Like we'd all gone out in different directions to different places, and they came across um, this this really distressing scene. They, they'd seen pictures, um, art posters, to say that there was a little girl missing, and then they came across a scene where police had discovered the body, and there, of course there was crying and wailing and. The little girl had been kidnapped and raped and killed. And it was just horrific. And it impacted everyone. But I think it impacted the compassion worker most of all. The the guy that came from Compassion Australia to go over there. Because he said, we just hear about these stories all the time. And there comes a point where you just, you know, it's just hard to keep hearing stories like that. It takes strength and courage to keep reaching out into chaos to bring peace and justice. We know it from these organizations we support and we know it from our own, even our own personal experiences as well. We know it's hard to speak up against injustice, don't we? You know, we know as well that it, it can be very uncomfortable to kind of get alongside someone who's really vulnerable and broken. You know, you know what it's like when you try to reach out to someone who's, really, who's grieving or someone who's really angry or someone who's really lost because their life's not working out how they hoped. It can be really daunting to do that. If you ever tried to do that, you'll know what I mean. Sometimes, you know, someone else's vulnerability can leave us feeling very vulnerable and exposed. It takes a lot of strength to be gentle. And God knows it. He he says that there in Isaiah verse 4. See that? He says that his servant needs to be strong. His servant will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. He's saying, this, this servant, if he's going to do this job, then he, he can't stop until the job's done. He can't be like a sprinter. When I was, you know, doing sports and stuff, I love sports, but I'm not, I have no endurance. You know, I could run 100 meters, but I could never run a marathon. He's saying his servant's got to be a marathon runner. He, he can't give up until the job is done. He's got to have that endurance. He's got to be able to persevere. He's got to be strong. And yet he's also got to be humble. And so you can see that in verses 2 and 3. See the humility of his servant? He says, the servant will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. You see, this is how God's people are to use their strength. You know, they might suffer but they're not to kind of carry on and, and clamor and, and complain and, and kind of, you know, just be totally obsessed with their own rights. They, they're not to cry out or lift up their voice or make it heard in the street. He's saying, this is what the servant will be like. And, and you know, they're to do God's work, but they're to do God's work without stepping on people. They're not to be so focused on God's mission that they, they somehow kind of tread on 
those who are weak and vulnerable along the way. You know, despite maybe facing difficulty in this, they're to show great tenderness. They're to be both strong and humble. They're to be gentle. Because God is gentle. Of course, unfortunately, the uh, human history is littered with a lack of gentleness. And the history of Israel was no different to that. They were called to be gentle and to bring justice to the nations of the world. But, but unfortunately, Israel did grow faint. They didn't persevere in the task. Instead of using their power to bring justice, they were actually corrupted by their power. They, they used it to serve themselves. And so they failed to be a blessing to the nations. They chose to kind of play by the world's rules. And so their power actually crushed the weak instead of bringing blessing to them. They, they, they used their power to crush the weak, but then, of course, they were playing by the world's rules, and so they were crushed by the strong. And so as we read through Isaiah, we find this is a really um, central theme in Isaiah, this, this history of Israel, where what you see is the powerful in Israel abusing their power, but then the powerful nations around them actually crushing Israel. The mighty empires of the ancient world, like Assyria and Babylon, ended up kind of conquering Israel and grinding them into the dust. And so the people of Israel are exiled off into Babylon. Uh, instead of um, setting captives free, which is what it says there in Isaiah 42, they actually end up living in captivity. And yet God is still gentle. And so he tells his prophet Isaiah to comfort his people. He says, comfort, comfort my people. He says to Isaiah in Isaiah 40, just two chapters earlier, he says, speak gently to Jerusalem for me. Tell them that their captivity is going to come to an end. And so in Isaiah 40, Isaiah holds out this promise to the Israelites. Uh, it's going to be up on the screen. He says it in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. This is Isaiah's voice now. He says, see, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. And so what you see here is that God's gentleness is less like the little meek powerless lamb and more like the shepherd who carries it, who feeds it and protects it, who holds it close to his heart. You know, gentleness, this is the Lord God who comes with might and he rules with power and he uses that strength to humbly enter the brokenness of humanity and bring peace. That's what gentleness looks like. Gentleness moves into vulnerability with strength and humility to bring peace. So how can we grow more gentle? It's our second point. Well, uh, as we open the Gospels, as we turn to the Gospels, we see the way that God keeps these promises. We meet God in human flesh. We see this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lives and walks and teaches shoulder to shoulder with the vulnerable, with the sinners, with those who are spiritually lost and physically broken and financially destitute. Uh, we see him in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, there's, uh, in Isaiah 40, we hear about this, um, it says, um, there's a voice out in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. 
And then in Matthew chapter 3, we hear that voice crying out. And it's a, a crazy prophet guy out in the wilderness called John the Baptist. And the people who are lost and destitute and vulnerable are flocking to him out in the wilderness, out to the Jordan River, and he's baptizing them. It's a sign of God restoring his people. This is Israel being reconstituted as the people of God. And who do we meet out there with the vulnerable and the broken and the sinners? Jesus is out there, right with them, shoulder to shoulder, standing there in the river. And he says to John the Baptist, you need to baptize me as well. Because I'm the true Israelite. And as he comes up out of the water, he receives God's spirit, just like we heard would happen in Isaiah 42. Because he's the true Israelite and he's the true servant of God. And then as we see him continue this ministry shoulder to shoulder with the vulnerable and the broken, when he's confronted by the, the sin and the sadness of his own people, he, he cries out this. We hear him cry, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, here we meet Jesus, the truly gentle one. He's humble and he is strong and he calls people to him so that they can find peace. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 11, the passage that Jill read for us before. So turn to Matthew chapter 11. That's what's going on here. Jesus, the strong and the humble, calling people to himself because that's where you find peace. This is set in a world where people were very often chewed up and spat out by the harsh realities of life. It's the, it's the ancient world. Life today is tough. Life back then was a whole different story. This is a world where the people of Israel labored under the heavy burden of the Roman Empire, under kind of like the yoke of, of heavy Roman taxes. This is a world where the people of Israel labored also under the yoke of their own religious leaders under the religious legalism, all the rules and the heavy laws that were imposed on them by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they could never hope to keep. They have this, these heavy burdens on them. And it's in, into this world that Jesus moves. It's into this world that Jesus speaks. And what does he say? He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light see that he calls to the weary all those who have been worn out by their toil he calls to all the burdened all those who are weighed down under this heavy uh, this heavy weight and he says I will give you rest uh, it's such a potent promise who doesn't who doesn't need a bit more rest for a start but it's a potent promise for, for these israelites not just because they needed rest it's a potent prom promise because actually that promise of rest runs right through the jewish scriptures our old testament uh, it's there right at the beginning. Um, Genesis chapter 2, God has just finished creating the heavens and the earth, and what does he do? Now, I'm talking about rest here. This is not an excuse for you guys to fall asleep. 
just kind of so you know so this is this is interactive here so what is what does god do he's just finished creating the world and he rests exactly he rests why does he rest because he was tired and he needed a break no he's not resting to stop working fortunately for us and the whole of the universe god kept working to sustain the world and to uphold the universe no for god resting was not about stopping work it was about enjoying his creation and so as you read the creation account you realize that this rest of god never ends uh, whereas in the first six days of creation, every, every day of the first six days in the creation account, they all come to a very clear end. There's that phrase that gets repeated over and over again. It says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Let's see if we can do it together. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth, fifth, sixth day. But then you get to the seventh day and it says, God rests. I missed something here. God rests, that's what I get for getting, you know, conversation going. Uh, God rests, but it doesn't say anything about that ever stopping. Because when God rests on the seventh day, he never stops resting and enjoying his creation. That's what God's rest is like. And this is the kind of rest that Jesus is promising to everyone who comes to him. This is a promise of deep joy of satisfaction of safety he says come to me and i'll give you rest not just rest for your bodies though that's great i'm going to give you rest right into your soul but notice what coming to jesus involves he says how does he say you get this rest he says the way that you get this rest is to take on my yoke that's a weird Kind of image for us isn't it it's the image of a farmyard right yeah a yoke is that big heavy wooden bar that a farmer would use to join two working animals together uh, oxen or maybe donkeys or something like that to kind of be out there in the fields working together uh, pulling heavy loads together and so when when jesus says take my yoke upon you and learn from me what he's saying is i'm out i'm the, I'm the, the lead ox you know, in this train of oxen, they'll stick the most reliable ox at the very, the very head of the train to be the lead ox. Jesus is saying, I am the lead ox and I want you to bind yourself to me. I want you to come under my authority and follow my lead. Because that's the only way you can find rest for your souls. That's a claim that can be really grating to modern ears. You know, when someone says, when Jesus says, you've got to submit to my authority if you want my rest. Uh, we're Australians. We kind of pride ourselves on kind of not really liking authority, right? We're anti-authoritarian. And, and this is just the modern kind of vibe anyway, isn't it? You know, uh, true rest comes from throwing off every yoke, doesn't it? That's how we think we find rest for ourselves. But Jesus says, no, true rest comes from having the right yoke from being yoked to the right person, taking on his yoke. Why? Because he's the only one who can carry the loads that we're not strong enough to bear. Because he's God in the flesh. 
He's the Lord from Isaiah 42 who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what come from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and, the, and spirit to those who walk in it. So he's strong. And he's also the servant from Isaiah 42 who goes into the darkness to bring God's light, who endures captivity to set prisoners free. He's humble. And so when he calls to us to put on his yoke, it's not because he wants us to help carry some of his load. It's because he wants to carry ours. And so you know what that means for you? That means that record of failure that you carry around and haul along behind you, all those memories of times when you let someone down, when you weren't gentle, when you were harsh, all those times when you used your power to make someone feel terrible, all that record of failure, all the fear of failure that, that, that weighs you down in your life, the fear of having to impress your parents and live up to their expectations, the fear of, of having to impress other people and live up to their expectations, all that record and fear of failure, a any burden of shame that makes you feel unworthy because of something that you've done to someone or something that someone's done to you, all of that burden, Jesus died in your place to carry that away. And, and you know what else it means? It means that weight of worry that you pull along. You know, your worries that you have about your friends, your worries that you have about your loneliness, your, your worries that you have about your mental health, your worry about the future because it's uncertain and you don't know what next year's going to look like or maybe even what next week's going to look like and whether you'll be okay. Jesus rose from the dead and so you can be sure you'll be okay. When we take on his yoke, he takes on our burdens, and so you find rest for your souls. That's why his yoke is easy and light. It's not because life is easy. No way, he's not promising that. It's because even when life is not easy, even when you are feeling weary and burdened, he will bear the load that you can't carry he's gentle and he uses his strength to bring us peace and so here we discover the true power of Jesus gentleness because it not only requires strength and humility from him but it also can produce strength and humility in us let's have a think about this for a moment we're just kind of shifting gears here so stay with me this is how it his gentleness produces gentleness in us. If you have strength without humility, strength without humility, power, without tenderness, you'll be too arrogant to show gentleness to others. You'll, you'll probably just use your power to add to their burdens, right? That's strength without humility. And if you have humility without strength, you know, you'll just be overwhelmed by your own burdens and so you'll never be able to reach out to help others with theirs. But if you take on the gentle yoke of Jesus, if you trust him with your failures and your fears, well then it's pretty much impossible to be arrogant because you're constantly remembering that you have to humbly rely on him. And it's easier to be strong 
because he's carrying your load. Do you see how that works? You are far better placed to be gentle to others when you are enjoying this kind of rest for your soul. And so this is how you could be known for being gentle because Jesus provides you with a deep inner peace that both strengthens and humbles you. That's the idea that the Apostle Paul picks up on in Philippians chapter 4. The third passage that we read from. So flick over to that one. Uh, Paul is writing from prison, right? From his own chaos. He's facing imminent death. Throughout his ministry, he's been constantly harried and persecuted. And yet somehow in the midst of his own vulnerability, he's able to reach out gently to bring peace to the Philippians in their vulnerability. And so this is what he says. How does he do this? He says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How is Paul able to show such gentleness to the Philippians even when his own life is under threat? It's because he says the Lord is near. He, he, he knows that Jesus is coming back and that he will bring justice to the nations. And so Paul knows he will be okay. He's got this rest he knows that God is present and that God hears his prayers, so he knows he's not on his own. He will be okay. And so he has this deep inner peace that guards his heart and his mind. He has this rest for his soul, and so he can offer this kind of rest to others. So let's finish by thinking about what it might look like for us to be gentle. I want this to kind of, we're kind of, trying to make this a little bit concrete and what I want you to do is to wrestle with a particular situation or a particular relationship where you find it hard to be gentle, just one. Don't get confused by thinking about too many things. And we're going to do this in three simple steps. So I want you to start by asking yourself, when do I find it hard to be gentle? Give you a moment to think about that. When do I find it hard to be gentle? <coughs> it might be when stupid people put stupid posts up on social media and you find it very hard not to make you know, a stupid reply in, in response. Uh, it might be when someone fails to listen to you and hear what you're saying again and again and again. Then it's, that's hard to be gentle then, isn't it? It might be when your parents or your housemate drives you nuts. You know, with they're constantly on your back telling you to do stuff that you don't want to do. It's hard to be gentle then. It might be when someone who's really close to you is just so preoccupied with their own life and their own worries and their own dramas and they only ever talk about themselves and they go on and on and on and you just feel like you want to explode. It's really hard to be gentle then. It might be when other Christians do things or say things in public which are not gentle or loving or true and you just want to scream at them. It's hard to be gentle then. So think of a situation where you find it hard to be gentle. 
next step? Have you got one? You've all got one? Yeah, we're not, I'm not just talking for the sake of it here. You've all got one. Now, I want you to imagine what it might look like in that situation or that relationship for you to use your strength to bring peace to the situation. What would it look like to use your strength well in that situation? Perhaps for you in that situation, your situation, it might mean sometimes just biting your tongue, taking a deep breath, walking away, not insisting on winning the argument or having the final say. Maybe that's what it looks like to use your strength well, being, being willing to lose. It might look different to that. It might mean quietly but firmly, you know, making your thoughts and your feelings and your expectations very clear. It might, you know, it might look different. It might mean just taking a step back and instead of kind of, kind of lashing out in, in the heat of the moment, actually w- just walking away a bit and, and writing a letter to someone to let them know what's going on. It might for you sometimes mean just just sitting and listening with them in their vulnerability and their brokenness and all their messy stuff. Or it might mean actually praying for that person who is driving you nuts, ideally before the moment when you explode. Uh, This week there was a post I came across on Facebook which was a great example of this kind of public gentleness. Um, It's uh, an ancient letter from 2,000 years ago, written by a bishop called Ignatius at the beginning of the second century. And he's writing at a time when Christians were suffering under terrible persecution in the Roman Empire, and he's writing to encourage Christians who lived in the city of Ephesus at this time. How How can they put up with this? And this is what he says. He posted this on Facebook. Pray continually for the rest of humankind as well, that they may find God, for there is in them hope for repentance. Therefore, allow them to be instructed by you, at least by your deeds. In response to their anger, be gentle. In response to their boasts, be humble. In response to their slander, offer prayers. In response to their errors, be steadfast in the faith. In response to their cruelty, be civilized. Do not be eager to imitate them. Let us show by our gracious forbearance that we are their brothers and sisters and let us be eager to be imitators of the Lord. Maybe that's the kind of way you imagine using your strength in this situation. So what have we got so far? We've started by thinking of a situation or a relationship where we find it hard to be gentle. We've tried to imagine how that situation might be, how we might use our strength well in that kind of situation. So we've got our starting point and we've got our desired end point. Now how do we get between the two? How do we get from A to B? Well now I want you to finish by remembering Jesus' promise. I will give you rest for your souls. And I want you to think about how that applies to you in that difficult situation. What is one thing that Jesus has done in the past or that Jesus is doing for you in the present or that Jesus has promised to do in the future 
that gives you this deep inner peace. It's going to be different for each one of you, depending on your situation and, and the particular problem that makes it hard to be gentle in it. It could be that you don't need to feel defensive in this difficult situation because you know that your sin has already been brought out into the open and dealt with. It could be that you don't have to fear rejection or loneliness because you know that you have this invitation from Jesus himself. He said, come to me, join my kingdom. You have eternal acceptance. What has Jesus done or what is he doing or going to do that brings you peace? And how will it change you in that situation to get from the situation as it is to where you want it to be? I don't know if this is me copping out in my um, preparing of a sermon and not giving you the answers, just letting you come up with it for yourself. But hey, trying something different. Uh, for me, as I was preparing this week, I came across this old sermon on the gentleness of Jesus. And if this is something that you're interested in, I totally recommend that you check it out. It's preached by an old bloke called Charles Spurgeon. It's called The Gentleness of Jesus. And he goes on about the gentle way that Jesus deals with us. And for me, it was a great reminder of why I have peace with him. And so I'll read a short quote from it. He writes this. Such was his gentleness that when he might have shaken the earth and rocked the thrones of tyrants and made every idol God totter from its blood-stained throne, he put forth no such physical power. But still he stood with melting heart and tearful eyes, inviting sinners to come to him. He used no lash but his love, no battle axe and weapon of war but his grace. Maybe this is what gives you peace in that situation. Because this is the one who calls to you. This is the true servant who brings justice to the nations and he will bring justice. Every wrong will be righted. This is the good shepherd who, who carries his lambs by his heart. This is the strong lead oxen who is ready to carry your load. This is the one who can give you rest for your soul. And so this is how we get the kind of gentleness that we should be known for. It's his gentleness that gives us peace so that we can show gentleness to others. And so we're going to finish uh, now. We're going to respond by singing of the gentleness that Jesus has shown to us. I should just check the run sheet. Good and gracious king. We're going to sing a song called Good and Gracious King. And um, as the musos come up to get ready uh, to play it, I'm just going to read out a couple of lines uh, about the gentleness and the peace that Jesus shows to us. It says this. This is what we're about to sing. Oh, what grace that you would see me as your child and as your friend, safe, secure in you forever, I pour out my praise again. Let's stand and let's sing together.